The second reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 5. I will read verses uh, 13 through 21. Hear the word of God. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him his life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God, and he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, you um, caused these words of Scripture to be inspired. You caused them to be preserved for us down through the centuries. Uh, We pray this morning that you would send us uh, your Holy Spirit individually and corporately so that we uh, might attend to your words, so that we might uh, hear what it is that you're saying to us, and so that we might respond to it, and so that we might act according to it. Lord, we pray that your word would shape our hearts and our lives. Uh, We pray that we would be not just hearers of the word, but doers as well. We know that we cannot do this in our own power, and so we ask for your Holy Ghost power, and we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it has been a crazy week here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. You come here on a Sunday morning, but there's been all of this week that's been going on uh, in preparation uh, for uh, you being here today. Our week began with Jordan Goretti calling in, saying that he's got pneumonia, uh, and he's my right-hand man in the office, and there are like a thousand things that we needed to get done this week because we've got a congregational meeting coming up because I'm doing these Sunday school lessons, which is an extra burden to me, and because uh, this evening at 5 o'clock we're ordaining uh, Pastor Bruno, all right? And so there was all of that to get ready Uh, The fellow who is the, what do they call him? They call him the convener. Uh, So Pastor Bruno will be uh, installed uh, this evening. And this is a service not of our church. It's actually a service of the presbytery. And so all of the head honchos from presbytery will come down. uh, And they've got little things that they've got to do. And we were spending an awful lot of time on the phone coordinating and getting everybody to like line up who's doing what. And the guy who's supposed to be running the show... He, he was just, well, he was in, he was in Ethiopia. He's in, in Ethiopia. 
Okay, now they've, they've got internet connection in Ethiopia, and so we could be in touch with him, but it kind of slowed things down a little bit, and I'm panicking because, you know, if I'm, I don't like being late, and I don't like things last minute. So it was a kind of a tough week. Finally, Jordan, I just told him to come in. You know, you're sick. You're going to go on your deathbed. You just got to come in anyway. We got work to do, okay? Okay, if you die and meet Jesus, all the better, uh, but we really need you here, and he came in, and, and he rescued us. He was here yesterday. We, we spent a full day uh, yesterday in the office cranking out all of the materials that, uh, that were needed for the congregational meeting. The congregational meeting, by the way, is happening right where you're sitting. It's going to happen about 1230 after the second service, so come for that. You'll hear, hear reports from staff and elders about um, what happened in the past year, what we're planning on doing uh, in the coming year, and we will also be electing uh, new officers for the church. Uh, so that, that's always a good meeting to be, to be at. So um, I have to say that it's, it's, been, a, it's been a tough week. Uh, it's been a, a week of, of, of a lack of focus because there were so many things competing for our attention. Um, but here we are. Uh, you know, they say 90% of life is showing up, and you showed up this morning, which is the right thing to do, all right? The, 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 the first thing you need to do every week is show up at church on Sunday morning. There's a reason why God uh, set the Sabbath once a week. We, we need it, and we need each other. We need, we need the, the, the release of singing God's praises. We need the company of other saints. Uh, we need the encouragement of God's word. And I'm delighted that all of you are here today uh, for those purposes. Baby Anna is also here today. She's looking uh, unusually beautiful. She's a normally a very beautiful and well-behaved baby. Uh, we're going to be dedicating her a, l- a little bit later in the service. We hope she's still happy by that time. If not, we'll, we'll, we'll dedicate a, a crying baby as well. It all, it's all good, okay? What I want to do this morning is walk through this passage. I don't know what you were thinking as you were hearing this passage, uh, uh, this passage read. Um, uh, this is sometimes a passage that people like to dig into and, and argue about. But, so I just want to, you can have it there in, uh, open in front of you, either in your Bible or, or in your bulletin. I want us to step through this thing piecemeal uh, and to uh, pull it apart a little bit. Uh, and see what it is that, uh, what, what John is all about here. So let me begin with that first verse. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, so Morrison's second rule of biblical hermeneutics is you have to know who's speaking and who's being spoken to. Well, in this case, it's the Apostle John speaking who is the, like the bishop over a number of churches, and he's writing to believers, all right? Sometimes the Bible is talking to unbelievers, and sometimes the Bible is talking to believers. So if you're a believer, this one's for you. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, this is for you. And then he tells you why he's writing this to you, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, whenever the Bible tells us to do something, it's usually because we're not doing it. And whenever the Bible tells us to not do something, it's usually because we are doing it. And in this case, John is telling us that, uh, that we may, uh, 
is telling us to know that we have eternal life, probably because there are some people he's written to who are a little bit unsure about this. They believe in the name of the Son of God, but oh, they're not so sure about whether or not they have eternal life. Now, I think maybe we're in a different cultural place than John was in his time. I think we're in a cultural place that we can't believe that any of us don't have eternal life. We're kind of living in a universalist moment when we think that, uh, that all are saved and God is so uh, forgiving that, uh, that there would be none who would be cast out. But in John's time, I think there was perhaps more concern about, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but I'm not sure if I have eternal life. And the other thing to keep in mind here is that uh, for the apostles, and it should be for us too, these people were very focused on the fact that their dead body would come back to life. Okay, They believed earnestly because they had seen the resurrected Christ that what had happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. Remember the guy who's writing this is one of the people who was at the crucifixion. One of the people who touched the resurrected Jesus, okay? This has got to really uh, alter your, your mind. He's met the resurrected Christ, and Jesus promised them that, you know what? This thing that happened to me, it's going to happen to you, all right? So the first-generation Christians, absolutely clear uh, that there was going to be a bodily resurrection of themselves and that this was going to be the entrance into eternal life. Now, in some sense, we have eternal life already now, Okay, those of you who have been born again and have believed in Jesus Christ, you've already entered into your eternal life. This is, you're in the beginning part of what's going to stretch out for all eternity. Uh, but the, the, the completion of that, the fulfillment of that, isn't going to happen until Christ returns. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and going on into 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Those are two very powerful verses. Okay, There's a promise here that those who are believers get what they pray for when it's in accord of, to the will of God. Ask and you shall receive is the way Jesus put it a little more elegantly. Okay, John is kind of rambling on in his description of this. But John is saying that, you know, uh, if we are in Christ, if we have received this eternal life from Christ, when we pray to him, he hears us and we will receive uh, what it is that, that we have asked for. Now, the part that comes here starts to get a little complicated. Uh, and so I want to, yeah, let's, let's talk about this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All right. Well, let me talk about a couple of things here. We're going to end up talking about the unpardonable sin, those of you who are interested in these kinds of things. 
But let me, before we get into that quagmire, let me talk a little bit about the fact that John does distinguish between kinds or degrees of sin. Some sin leads to death. Some sin does not lead to death. And I mention this because there is a common error out there. Maybe this is uh, one that you've heard. People say things like, well, you know, all sins are the same. No sin is worse than any other sin. Don't pick on certain sins as if they were worse than other sins. Now, typically we say this when it is our sin that is being highlighted, okay, or when we're actually really trying to say, you know, this thing that I like to do, I just want you to say that it's not a sin, okay, so stop fussing about it. Let's be clear. The Bible does distinguish between sins. Some sins are worse than other sins. In the Old Testament law, there are different punishments for different kinds of sins. There are different sacrifices that are required to atone for different kinds of sins. Not all sins are the same. Murder is worse than gossip. Cruelty is worse than laziness. Sins by adults against children are worse than sins by adults against their peers. There are distinctions that are made in Scripture. So we are wrong if we say that all sins are equal. But let me say this, and I hope this doesn't sound like a contradiction. While not all sins are equally grievous, even the least sin, any sin, is damnable. Okay? So in that sense, they're all equal. The unrepentant murderer and the unrepentant gossip are equally in danger of hell fire. And so in that sense, yes, they're, they're equal. Sins are individual infractions against the law. Each time we break God's law, we sin. But our problem isn't so much the individual infractions. The problem is our very fallen nature and our rebellion against God. We sin because we're sinners. Okay, We're born into this condition. The bad news of the gospel is you were born bent and broken. Now, the world will tell you that you were born perfect and, you know, the only reason that you're messed up is because of social influences. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we're born bent and broken. We are born selfish and, 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 and nasty. Okay? We sin because we're sinners by nature. And for us to solve that problem requires that we come to Christ. Okay, we can't solve that problem ourselves. This is why we don't try to clean ourselves up and then go to Christ. You go to Christ, then he begins to clean you up. Sometimes people in the world get this uh, you know, backwards. They think, oh, you know, people in church, they're all about uh, you know, doing the right thing and, and following God's law. And, you know, look at me, I'm a mess. I can't possibly go to church. Let me try to like, put my life in order and then I can go to church. No! The people that we want in church are the messed up people. Okay, if you're righteous, you don't need to come to church. All right, this is a room full of unrighteous people. 
This is a room full of sinners, all right? If you're a sinner, you're welcome here. If you're not a sinner, you don't need to go to church. You know, you can go to Starbucks, okay? Church is for sinners. But sin, sin comes out of our nature. And being born again is getting a new nature, all right? We have to be born again because the old man is born bent and broken and we can't fix him no matter how many New Year's resolutions we make. We, 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 we just need a new heart and we need a new spirit and God has to do that work. You're not going to do that work yourself. Now, look, those of you who have a new heart and a new spirit, you do need to get your act together, okay? You do need to start living the way you know that you're supposed to be living, all right? And having the Holy Spirit present in you makes it possible to do that. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we're no longer slaves to sin. We, we're free. We can say no to sin. We have the power to say no to sin now. We didn't before, but now we do. All right, let me talk about uh, the unpardonable sin. All right, I, I think it's teenagers who love to talk about the unpardonable sin. Okay, you've probably all heard about this. You know, uh, Jesus, in many places uh, in the Gospels, talks about a sin that cannot be forgiven. All right? And uh, this is uh, often, and, and it's not exactly clear uh, what he means by that. Um, let me, I want to present, a, there, are, there are basically four theories about what the unpardonable sin is. Um, I'm just going to name them and then probably just cut to the chase on this because I want to get that baby in my, in my hands. Um, so the, the four common views of the unpardonable sin. Okay, so the unpardonable sin is a sin that God cannot forgive. Right? And you understand that if you have a sin that is unforgiven, you go to hell. All right? And so the unpardonable sin is like a, uh, what do you call it? It's just like it's a ticket to hell. All right? It's a ticket to hell. So the, uh, this is this idea. And Jesus, it's Jesus who comes up with this idea. He talks about it repeatedly uh, uh, during his ministry. So... The four basic theories of the unpardonable sin are, number one, that uh, the unpardonable sin is like a really bad sin, like adultery or murder or denying Christ. The second one is, is that the unpardonable sin, is, uh, and this is based on readings of, of Jesus' statements about these things, is that it's saying something false about the Holy Spirit. The third theory is, is that it's attributing... Uh, Holy Spirit miracles to the devil. And the fourth is, is that it's rejecting the truth that the Holy Spirit has revealed about Jesus. Let me talk about the first one uh, because I think this might be a, a common one. Uh, the view that um, the unpardonable sin is like a really bad sin. Um, the reason we know that that can't be true is, is that we have examples in Scripture of people that we know are redeemed, we know are presently in heaven, who did heinous things. King David, adultery, and then he murdered the husband of the woman that he had adultery with. The Apostle Paul says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent opponent of Christ. The Apostle Peter uh, denies Christ three times. People come up to him directly. Do you, 
you know, are you a follower of Jesus? No, not me. Are you a follower of Jesus? Absolutely not. Are you a follower of Jesus? And then he begins to swear. Even grieving the Holy Spirit, which Paul warns the church about in Ephesians 4.30, is a sin that is committed by people who are still forgiven. So it would be wrong to say that the unpardonable sin is a really bad sin or a sin like murder or denying Christ or grieving the Holy Spirit because we know that there are people in heaven who have done those things. The second view is that the unpardonable sin is saying something false about the Holy Spirit. Believe it or not, this was the majority view among the early church fathers, whom I respect, and I'm very disinclined to disagree with, but in this case I think they're wrong. For example, Cyril of Jerusalem says, quote, A man must often fear to say, either from ignorance or assumed reverence, what is improper about the Holy Spirit and thereby come under this condemnation. All right? Cyril is actually arguing that it's best to keep your mouth shut so that you don't say anything wrong because saying something wrong might be the unpardonable sin. I think he's mistaken in this because I do think it's the case that people who are non-Christians do express false opinions about the Holy Spirit. But then as they become Christians, they believe correctly about the Holy Spirit. Or there are Christians who have false beliefs about the, the Holy Spirit, but then later have those false beliefs corrected because they've matured in their understanding of what the Bible says. For example... A Christian may realize that it is wrong to refer to the Holy Spirit as an it because he is a person. Okay, I don't know if you use the pronoun it. Get your pronouns right. All right? The Holy Spirit's not an it. Okay, he's a person. So we, we use a personal pronoun for him. So I think that one is false. Um, among dispensationalists, and we do have some dispensationalists here with us, the popular view of the uh, uh, unpardonable sin is, is, is that um, it is attributing to Satan uh, miracles that were in fact done by the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm, I'm just going to mention it to you. I don't, I don't have time to talk about it because I think it's, it's kind of... I think it's just wrong. Um, so the, the fourth view is, is, is that, that the unpardonable sin is rejecting the truth of Christ that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you. Okay? So in other words, you know the Holy Spirit has woken up your mind, you've heard the gospel, you've got the truth, you understand who Christ is, and you say, nah. Now, first of all, that is the sin of Satan, isn't it? There's no one who knows more about Christ than Satan. Satan fully understands. Knowledge about God is not the same as being born again. Knowledge about Christ is not the same as being born again. But So the suggestion here is, is that the unpardonable sin is having received the truth and revelation from the Holy Spirit about who Christ is and then saying, no. I'm going to reject it. This is the view of John Calvin, by the way. 
John Calvin uh, explains the unpardonable sin. Uh, Those who commit the unpardonable sin, explains John Calvin, with evil intention, quote, with evil intention, resist God's truth, although by its brightness they are so touched they cannot claim ignorance. Okay? So this is a very special case. This is someone who knows the light's gone on for them, and then for whatever reason they say, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. I'm going to... I'm going to do what I want to do. I am, I'm not going to follow Christ. I understand who Christ is, and I just I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. This is how uh, Calvin understands the unpardonable sin. But let me go back now. Why are we talking about this? Remember, this whole passage is about John wants to assure the believers that they have, they have eternal life. And then he says, you know, not only do you have eternal life, but if you pray, God's going to hear you, and he's going to give you what he hears you say. And then, it's not an elegant essay. He probably needs an editor here. But he makes this sub-point, but there's a certain thing that I don't want you praying about. There are some sins that lead to death and some sins that don't lead to death. If your brother is in a sin that leads to death, don't pray for that. Okay? Here's how I think we need to understand this. If you have someone in your life, someone in your family, someone that you love, some friend that you know, and they have rejected Christ, they've heard the gospel, And they say, you know what, I'm just not interested. Or, you know what, that's not who I am. I don't want to be that. They've heard and they've rejected. Do not pray that they don't suffer the wrath of God. It would sort of be like praying for someone who refuses to take the medicine. Lord, they refuse to take the medicine, but don't let them have the disease. The command here is to not pray for God's mercy in relieving the punishment of those who are in open rebellion against him. This is a frightful command, but let me add this footnote to it. Here's how we are to pray for those people. We need to pray that they come to repentance. Okay? Don't pray that God not punish them for being unrepentant. Pray that they repent. Pray that they turn around. Pray that they come to Christ. Pray that they give up the rebellion. Okay? Rather than saying, oh, God, don't punish them for being in rebellion, pray, God, please get them out of that rebellion so that they can be free of your wrath. We need to be earnestly and regularly praying for unsaved people. All right? Some of you are the hard cases that other people were praying for. Okay, I know. No, okay, and some of you 
and I know you too are praying for certain individuals in your life, people that you love, that you care about, who are still outside of Christ, who are still rebellious against Christ, who know about Jesus, who are just not interested in following Jesus. They're not going to do that. They want to do their own thing. Don't pray that God will you know, just forgive them anyway. Pray that they turn around. Okay? God will answer that prayer. Okay? Let me go back to the assurance at the beginning. You know, my pages are not numbered, which is a bit of a problem. This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Is it in the will of God that sinners come to repentance? <laughs> There's nothing more that he wants than that. That's what God wants above all else. Our Old Testament reading, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. It is the will of God that people turn to him and repent and have full life. And so if we pray for those in our lives who need to do that, I believe that God will hear our prayer and that God will answer our prayer. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and adore you. And Lord, we do pray for those people in our lives, people who are, who are flesh and blood to us. Lord, we pray for them that they would that they would turn to you, that they would come to you, that they would lay down their rebellion, that they would, whatever it is that keeps them away from you, Lord, I just pray that you would be uh, blowing that stuff up and blowing it out of their lives. Lord, you did it for us. We're no better than those other people. We're no smarter. We're no, we're no more righteous. But you turned us around. So we pray that you would turn these people around too. And Lord, I pray that you would do that in mercy. I pray that you would, that you would extend their lives as long as is needed for them to repent and to turn to you. I pray that you do it for your glory. I pray that you do it for their salvation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. All right. All right. Okay, so here's what I need.